Father, this morning we just come to you, Lord. See, your word says, Lord, your word is light. And the entrance of your word brings light. I pray we will allow your word to enter into our minds, into our thinking, into our hearts. Your word says your word is like a hammer. And I pray, Father, we will allow your word to work like a hammer and break down the hardest, the oldest strongholds in our minds which oppose Christ, which oppose the knowledge of God. I pray, Father, the light of your word will bring clarity that every imagination will be dispelled. That there would be clarity of purpose. Clarity in our walk. Clarity in the work we do. Speak to us, Father. Speak to us. That we might all fulfill the call and the purpose of God in our lives. That like Samuel, we would not let your words to fall to the ground. Speak to us, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 This morning, actually last night and this morning, I was a little confused because we were going in a particular way with the messages and then suddenly I realized today was uh, Father's Day. Like, you know, I do not usually stick to these days, but like, you know, I decided to stick to this day only because of who God is. Otherwise, I don't preach Women's Day messages or Children's Day messages and all that. But Father's Day, how can I avoid? Because He is the Father. So, I was asking Lord, reconcile it both. The journey we are taking and also that we glorify you as a Father. So, this morning, the text... I mean, it's, it's, it's a long passage we are reading practically from the whole of chapter 5 of the book of Joshua because it's connected with warfare, what Joshua, actually we learn from the book of Joshua how Joshua fought and possessed the land is how we fight in our minds and possess the promised life. So it was when the kings of the Amorites who were on the west side of the Jordan and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until we had crossed over that their heart melted and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. We had seen how they had crossed the river Jordan last week. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives for yourself and circumcise the sons of Israel again the second time. So Joshua made flint knives for himself and circumcised the sons of Israel at the hill of the folk skins. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt who were males and all the men of war had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. For all the people who came out and had been circumcised but all the people born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people who were men of war who came out of Egypt were consumed. 
because they did not obey the voice of the Lord, to whom the Lord swore he would not show them the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers that he would give us a land flowing with milk and honey. Then Joshua circumcised their sons, whom he raised up in their place, for they were uncircumcised, because they had not been circumcised on the way. So it was when they had finished circumcising all the people that they stayed in their places in the camp till they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, This day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore the name of the place is called Gilgal to this day. Now the people of Israel camped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight on the plains of Jericho. And they ate of the produce of the land on the day after the Passover, unleavened bread and parched grain on the very same day. Then manna ceased on the day after they had eaten the produce of the land, and the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the food of the land of Canaan that year. Most of you were in there, I think hardly anybody here, even before the church began, GDC began, the earlier church where I used to minister, I used to pastor. We had done the series on the book of Joshua. And uh, I think, I don't have copies of it, but I think somebody has on. So God was telling me, come back to Joshua and keep coming back so that we learn how to fight this battle. Remember the last few weeks, we've been looking at the head, the mind. The first thing to go is the head. The body follows where the head or the mind goes. Or he who has the head has the body. Do I have your head today? Every one of you? In 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3, Scripture says, I didn't give that. I want you to know the head of every man is Christ. And the head of every woman is man. On earth, God designated that man is the head. Therefore, the enemy always goes after the head. Because he knows if the head fails, almost always the rest fails. That's how God designed each unit should work. Every unit, the family would have a head, which was the father. And all that we are seeing around the world is because the head got messed up. The head got messed up. Like I said a couple of weeks back, in one country alone, there are over 70 million headless homes. So you can see, when you have headless homes or heads that refuse to take their God-given responsibility, the effect is seen on the streets and in the schools and in the colleges. You will see that happening. The rebellion we see on the streets is just a reflection of a headless home. Okay, So remember why God assigned things that way. The portion we are looking at today is where we are seeing all the heads that failed. All the heads of the homes had failed. Yet, the children survived 
because their spiritual head, that is Moses and Joshua, did not fail. All their heads, physical heads, their fathers had failed, but their spiritual heads did not fail. Therefore, an entire generation of children will grow up in the desert and be successful and possess the promised land. So the title of today's message is Desert Babies. Okay, I read as a child a famous novel. I think it's Wilkie Collins. I can't remember. Back of my head, I read it in five or class, three or four called Water Babies. But today's title is Desert Babies. Okay. When God spoke to these children, these they are men now, but desert babies who have come out, entered into the promised land. They have been crossed River Jordan. And God spoke to Joshua. And Joshua spoke to them. This second generation, the only thing they demanded was this. In Joshua 1, this is what they told Joshua. They answered Joshua saying, all that you command us, we will do. Wherever you send us, we will go. You see, before one single battle, God had succeeded in making a generation whose fathers failed into a cohesive military unit. This is what soldiers say. Whatever you say, we will do. Wherever you send, we will go. Just as we, the key is here, just as we heeded Moses in all things, so we will heed you. If I were to ask, honestly ask, people here who do not have in your own homes, in your own lives, personal lives, a spiritual head as a man, as a father, I believe more than half the church will stand up. It doesn't matter. All their spiritual heads had failed, but they kept their eyes on Moses, which their fathers refused to do. You know what it means? It means you could be here as a family, and your father may not listen to the pastor at all, what he's preaching or what he's teaching, but your child could be listening with both the ears and obeying it. So it's God is saying here, even if your physical head fails, your spiritual head can still lead you across. They chose to keep their eyes on their spiritual fathers. One was Moses and the other was Joshua. Because this is the age, I believe, God will raise up spiritual fathers. Because in the world, the devil through the system, the government have entered into homes. And have increasingly taken over the homes. And God's counter strategy is always through his body, his church. For everything the world does through, the the enemy does through the world, God counters it through the church. He doesn't counter it in the world. He counters it through the church. In the world you will see there are hardly any fathers. They have just left their headship because the pressure is too much to bear. Because of the movement that is taking place. So the churches are full of headless children. And God's answer to that is that I will raise fathers in the church. 
In 1 John chapter 2, that's what he actually says. I write to you little children because your sins are forgiven you for his namesake. I write to you fathers. Because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. Between the children and the young man, there is a father. It is this father who turns his children to young men who will overcome. And God says, my counter strategy is to raise up spiritual fathers. Fathers who know the heart of God from the beginning. And will lead a generation of children to become young men who will overcome the evil one. Apostle Paul was one such father. Though he was never married. He never had children of his own. But he was a true spiritual father. He was not just a teacher. He was a spiritual father. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 15 he says, For though you might have 10,000 instructions in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. He says, not only did I beget you through the gospel, I carry the burden of you as a father. I don't look at you as a teacher. The teacher in a classroom who teaches and the father who tries to instruct you at home are different. The teacher is only interested in your success because it looks good on his resume. But after you finish class 10 and gone, he's not bothered. And even if you don't do well, he still gets his salary. The teacher is also an instructor. The father also is an instructor. But the father's life is tied up with the child of the children. And Paul says, I am a father. I am not just an instructor. So if you look at the first three generations of Israel, the first generation came out of Egypt. The second generation came out of the wilderness and possessed the promised land. And the third generation started losing the promised land. So if you look at these three generations, only one generation kept the promised land. Which was that generation? It was a generation that came out of the wilderness. Not the one which came out of Egypt or the ones who lived in peace and lost. One of the primary instructions given to fathers is this in Deuteronomy 11 verses 18 to 23. Therefore you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart, in your soul, and bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them, like the days of the heavens above the earth. You see, God gave one instruction to the fathers of Israel. And it is repeated in the new covenant. In Ephesians 6 and verse 4, God says, You fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. This is not talking about the education in schools. We're not talking about that. That's a different thing. Totally unconnected thing. God is telling in the old covenant and the new covenant, He says, Fathers, instruct your children in the Lord, in the training and the admonition, the scolding, the, the correction in the Lord. It is given to the fathers to instruct the children so that, if you go back to the previous verse in Deuteronomy, the last verse, so that what? 
God says, you will live long that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land. In that life Christ wants to give, he says, you will live long. Not only that, your days of heavens above the earth, you will experience the power of the kingdom of God in your lives. The key is, he tells fathers, teach your children. Teach your children the word. Teach your children your word. You will see that's where the first generation failed, the third generation failed, the second generation succeeded because they learned from Moses and from Joshua. Subsequent generations also will fail. It is written like this in the book of Judges in chapter 2, verse 10 and 12. When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers. Which generation? Joshua's generation, the second. Another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel. You see, a generation, and that's what happened to the world, a generation have risen from Christian homes, skilled in the knowledge, education of the world, but they do not know their God, and they do not know what their God has done. Has done. Even in this land, we started schools everywhere in this country, from one end to the other, we started English medium, vernacular medium schools started by Christians. But in none of the schools, we actually told them about Christ and the, the, the history of Christianity in India. For you Telugu children sitting over here, who wrote your Telugu dictionary? Did a Telugu guy write your Telugu dictionary? No, it's a missionary who wrote. I, who am from Kerala, who wrote the Malayalam Dictionary? A missionary from Germany, if I am right, came down, learned the language and wrote the dictionary in my... That is our heritage. That the very books which people of every religion, every language use in India, the legacy was left by the church. But it's never part of our history. Yet that is the intrinsic part of our history. But it's never mentioned, never recognized. So what happens, a set of children arise who do not know the Lord or the work he has done for Israel. We have brought out millions and millions and millions of kids through Christian schools. and They never know Christ. Never know Christ. Never heard about Christ. Never taught about Christ. And that's what happens because we forgot spiritual instruction comes above education. Our, let me tell you, in India, our idol is education. It is not spiritual instruction. Spiritual education at the cost of spiritual instruction will go to that level. And God says you will raise up a set of children who will not know God. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. Why did this happen? Why do children do evil in the sight of the Lord whom they don't know, but the Lord knows? And they serve the gods of the flesh of this world. It's because they were never instructed about God and the ways of God. And God says, be very careful. Be very careful as fathers. Yet there was a generation that came out of the desert. So one of the first instruction to fathers in the church, to fathers is, teach your children the ways of God. And discipline them 
according to the ways of God. And that's where Hannah is so successful in the Bible is because I will tell you, there are so many young couples over here with children. I'm telling you, if you want, because it's a different world we are living in, if you want your children to be successful in the ways of God, the first thing as parents you need to have is have a unity about the instruction you will give your children. You have to have unity. If you have division in your house, if the husband is flesh and the wife is spirit, the wife is flesh and the husband is spirit, the children will automatically go in the ways of flesh. Because they are flesh, they are not saved. I still remember in my Bible, I still have it, I don't know which year, I can tell you, 26 4 1998. How many years ago? 20 years ago. Ron Sellers, Assemblies of God. I still remember the message written here about how to raise children. The first thing is consistency. Agree and be consistent. Parents need to agree on this. It's not my way or your way, it is his way. Not my way or your way, it is Yahweh. Remember. Remember, please remember. Otherwise your children will fall apart. Fall apart. That's the primary reason, one of the primary reasons why God says do not be yoked to unbelievers is because the purpose, one of the primary purposes of marriage is God says I will have godly offspring. How can you have a godly offspring when you have light and darkness together? It's going to be a struggle. Really, really struggle. It's a battle when it should be the most wonderful journey. If a believing father and mother bringing up a child, it becomes a battle every day of your life. One parent pulling the child this way, the other one pulling that way. And like Solomon, all you can do is take a sword and divide them. Don't do that. It was just his wisdom. So the question is, this is the instruction from the father. This is the instruction from the Heavenly Father. Instruct your children in the ways of God. And always be wise. That's what Hannah did. Hannah kept Samuel with her. He, Because children always watch and imitate. Little children always watch and imitate. They are, they are listening with their eyes. More than they are listening with their ears. And they watch. That's why they will follow their parents. They will follow their mother, especially in the beginning. Really, they will follow their mother. If they see a praying mother, it always sinks into their mind. My mother is a praying woman. If they see their father is a man who sits and studies his word, it will always imprint in their, in their, in their minds that, and then later they will know what is the book that he reads. They carry these images with them. And images can be very powerful. Very, very, very powerful. Can be because children carry their first images with them. On the other hand, it is conflict they see. And disregard for the things of God they see. They carry that also with them. So the first instruction to fathers, God says, is that watch out. Teach. And if you are a single parent, man or woman, Telling you, the commandment still stands. He says the children are a heritage. They are from him. They belong to him. They have to go back to him. During the few years in the beginning, we have them, the first five, six years. 
He says, teach them. After five years, it's very difficult. The first five years will actually frame a child's mind. In f- this is the first instruction. In the second instruction God gives the father is in 1 Timothy 5.8. If anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. He demands that the fathers provide for the children. Okay, now let's be very clear about it. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 8, he also defines what provision is. He says, having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. Don't put all your wants, including all these gadgets, as part of the father's provision. No, it is not. Not even your desire for higher education. Even that is not your father's provision. The father is primarily asked to see that the child is safe, the child has got food, his clothing on, his back, and these education systems all came on later. In the beginning, children were only educated with scripture. Okay? God is very clear about it. Okay? We need to learn different skills, and the father teaches the child skills or sends them to school, but that should not make you angry. I will tell you, when I did my Undergraduation and PG. My college fees was 20 rupees. And I studied in the best college in the city. When I came to Iflu, I did not pay a pie. Just not a burden for my father. Not a burden for my father. Today, to send a child to LKG is a burden. First the fees, that's one thing my father told me. My father told us, all of us, he told us the same thing. He said, I will invest what I have in your education, but I promise you one thing. I will never come for your admission. I will never come bend my head before a principal and say, sir, have mercy, put my son in this. I will never do that. You get your admission, I'll pay for it. And you know, no, my father never had to bend his head before anybody. He provided for us. He gave us this. Provided. Because this is Father's Day and I can still remember what my parents went through. to put us through. But we did not become a burden on them with our demands. So sometimes we confuse our wants with our needs and we think, My father, my mother is not a good mother because I did not get all these things. God said, who told you you should get all these things? Most of my friends, when I went to class 11 and 12, from were from government schools, not even from a private school like I came in from. So they were weak in English. That was the only thing they were weak. They were fantastic in all the other subjects. Actually, some of them scored much higher than me. Government schools are free. For children who says, my father, I said, no, your father just has sent you to the government school. God did not say in the Bible, you should be sent to boarding school. No. Everywhere I have gone, even to Jamshedpur, and I meet old friends, they're all engineers, senior officers in Tata Steel Plant and all, and they all studied in government schools. If you want to study, you will study in any school. If you don't want to study, you can send you to the pay through the nose and send you to the best school. Still you will not study. So please, when you judge your parents, because children have a habit of judging their parents. 
the most failures was his first set of parents who came out of Egypt. They grumbled, they murmured about everything. Even God was so mad with them and said, none of you will enter into the promised land. Yet, he told the next generation, even if you think and utter one thing against your parents, I will curse you. It's interesting what God said. Be very careful, he told the next generation. Because your prosperity is not in their hands. It is in God the Father's hand. If you have listened to that instruction and followed that instruction, God says you can still come through. So the second thing God demands from fathers is to see that the children have provision in their lives. Spiritual instruction and provision. Food, clothing, shelter. Not what kind of food, not what kind of clothing. And protection. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 4, God says, Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot foot swell these 40 years. In Deuteronomy 29, verse 5 and 6, I have led you for 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out on you. Your sandals have not worn out on your feet. You have not eaten bread, nor have drunk wine or similar drink, that you may know that I am the Lord your God. What is he saying? He's saying, you know what? You experience my provision and my discipline through the hands of your spiritual father, Moses. They didn't have many sets of clothing. Did you see what he did? You see, even when one generation was perishing in the desert, God was framing another generation in the same desert through discipline. One generation arose, even though their fathers failed to understand the heart of God. They kept their eyes on Moses and they followed the lead of Moses. God had a generation, led a generation into the wilderness. He met their need, but he refused to meet their needs of their flesh. And the fathers who came out of Egypt rebelled against it, but the children learned from it. That's what he's saying. You did not eat the food of Egypt. You did not drink wine. Only thing you ate was manna and drank water. Because they had tasted other things, they were always craving for those things. But because I disciplined you with these things, you learned. There are two generations in the desert. Their genetics are the same. But their reference points are not. So one generation, whenever they are thinking about food or anything, they will say, this was the way it was like in the world. Another generation, when they were thinking, they will say, this was the way in the desert. They don't think about Egypt at all. Reference points is different. So in your mind, what is your reference point? The second group are survivors. They have survived the failures of their fathers. And they have survived the tests of the desert. And now they are in the promised land. And the whole land 
lies before them. We saw last Sunday and Wednesday, they sanctified themselves. Their eyes are on the Ark of the Covenant. They have crossed River Jordan. And while they are waiting, Joshua receives the next set of instructions from God. This generation has been blessed with food, clothing and protection by God. Is there anybody who here who has not been blessed with food and clothing and protection? No. Everybody. They have been blessed with food and clothing and protection without being circumcised. But God says, without being circumcised, I can only bring you thus far. You still haven't possessed one inch of the promised land. The way forward is blocked. You are in transition. If you want to go forward, there is only one way you can go forward. You need to be circumcised. Joshua chapter 5 and verse 7, scripture says, Joshua circumcised their sons whom he raised up in their place for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. He tells them, circumcise them here. Now you need to understand, we know what circumcision is, but we sometimes confuse what circumcision is. In Deuteronomy, sorry, not Deuteronomy, in uh, Genesis, when 17, when circumcision is instituted first time, God says, this is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins and it shall be what? Shall be what? Say sign. Circumcision is only a sign. Circumcision is not the covenant. Circumcision is not the covenant. Circumcision is the sign of the covenant. If you look our God, our God is a covenant keeping God. A covenant is like a hard contract. In modern terms we will say a contract. Circumcision is stronger than a covenant. But every covenant has a sign. It is the sign that declares you are part of the covenant. So when God made a covenant with Noah, he gave a rainbow as a sign. The rainbow is not the covenant. The rainbow is the sign of the covenant. So when you look at the sign, you realize I have a covenant with God. So God has given a covenant. A covenant. And the sign of the covenant was circumcision. The cutting away is not the covenant. But it is the sign of the covenant. Okay. You know what it means? The sign shows you are part of this contract with God. Like you know in the West Europe, you have a set of countries which is called the NATO. North Atlantic Treaty Organization. Most of the European nations and America is part of NATO. The NATO is bound by a contract. The contract is, even if a small nation in NATO, tiny little nation called Macedonia, let's say Macedonia, small little nation called Macedonia, is attacked by an enemy, all NATO members are supposed to fight together. It's the contract. That's why Europe, nobody attacks Europe. Because the NATO alliance is there. Anybody attacks any member of NATO, all of NATO comes together and fights as one unit. Are you getting the picture? 
So circumcision was the sign you belong to God. And uncircumcision was the sign you did not belong to God. You have a covenant. You have a sign of the covenant. So remember last week, when the Israelites were hemmed in by the Philistines and one Jonathan arises, willing to fight, what does he say? Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, come let us go over to the garrison of these. We are covenant people. We are bound by contract. If anybody fights us, God fights for us. We cannot lose. God is for us. Who can be against us? How do you know Israelite God is for you? He says, I got a sign of the covenant. And they have no sign. Therefore, if they fight us, God fights for us. That's what began. That comes from faith. That comes from faith. When David goes to with bread to his brethren, in the next portion, 1 Samuel 17, David spoke to the men who stood by him saying, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that dare defy the armies of the living God? He says, the Israelite army, the heavenly armies, we are all bound by contract. Why? Because we have a sign. God is telling this young generation, you're going to fight. God has contracted with you to fight for you, give you victory, but you need a sign. Now, the sign is outward. The covenant is inward. Okay? This sign is outward. The covenant is Inward. Like we say, everybody prepares for the wedding day. You know, especially the girls. Another wedding coming in three weeks time. Everybody prepares. You know, the time spent in choosing the suit, the bridal dress and the makeup and all. How many visits to the beauty parlor to... How much we prepare for the wedding, how less we prepare for the marriage. Wedding is for a day. Marriage is for a lifetime. We prepare for a day without preparing for a lifetime. The covenant is a sign outward. But the real reality is inside. If the reality inside is missing, then the covenant outside sign makes no difference. So you have Hundreds and hundreds of Israelites standing there, well-trained soldiers with the same sign, but no reality inside. So they are all trembling before that one man who has no sign. Yet one fellow comes with the sign and the reality inside and he says, I am contracted. This guy can't defeat us. You see the difference in Deuteronomy 30 and verse 6, this is the reality. God says, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your dissonance to love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, all that your soul may live. There is a sign outside, there is a reality inside. The first generation came out of the desert, they had a sign outside, they had no reality inside. A second generation came out of the desert, they have no sign outside, they have the reality inside. They love the Lord with all their heart, with all their might, the soul. God says, that's fine, just have a sign outside. Let me tell you. 
lot of people say, but God knows I love him. It's not enough. You need to have a sign of the covenant outside too. If you are a believer in the heart, look like a believer outside. There's a lot of stuff happening in the world and the church has lost the power because people only have no sign outside. They will say, God knows my heart. God says, I know your heart. But that's not enough. The children of Israel who came out of the desert, they, God knew their heart. They were one unit, ready to fight. They just told Joshua, one thing all, let God be with you. We will follow you till the end. Anything that you say, we will obey. God said, it's still not enough. You need to have a sign outside. Why? Because our affections are always decided by our thinking. God says, love God with all your heart, with all your mind. Don't think in the ways of the world. Your heart and your outside should match the covenant. You are a covenant people. The reason the first generation was rejected was their hearts were never circumcised because their minds, their thinking could never change, could never be changed. In Deuteronomy 29 verses 3 to 4, this is what God says. With your own eyes you saw those great trials, those miraculous signs and great wonders. But to this day, the Lord has not given you a mind that understands or eyes that see or ears that hear. You saw all these miracles and all these signs of God. Yet in your mind, you could never understand the ways of God. The sign remained a sign. You never understood it. Why? In your mind, you would never change your thinking. You thought like the world. No, Something that was unbelievably be spiritual, you could give it to them, they will take it and turn it into something carnal. And I hear pastors, unbelievably powerful pastors, they will take, and it is a revelation they get, they take that unbelievable revelation from God, by the time they pass it on to their congregation, it is turned into something absolutely carnal. And their minds are not able to see. And the problem is, the congregation continues with their hearts ever being circumcised, because the hearts are always yoked to the world. And all these years, they had wandered in the desert, and God never spoke now they are very close to inheriting the promises of God, but they cannot inherit unless they had, they are separated from what had held their fathers back. You cannot fight this battle unless you are free inside from the affections of this world. Okay. Remember, first generation, only two made it. And that is the history of the church in every generation. Only few will go on to the next level. Why? Because this world will trap them. How do you know you are very close to that promised life of Christ? How do you know? How did Israel, second generation, know they were so close to start possessing? They not did they possess, they will have to fight for a few years. But how did they know after so many years we are so close to possessing? How did they know when the cutting started? Is God cutting something away from your life? Are you allowing him to cut certain things away from your life? If so, you are getting close to your promised land. 
It can be anything. It can be people, it can be jobs, it can be things, it can be careers, relationship, anything. But God will cut away flesh in my life, in your life. And if it doesn't, I cannot cross over. He says, fine, you can sit here on this side. You will not win a single victory because people who walk without that sign, without in the flesh, cannot overcome this battle. It is painful. In Joshua chapter 5 verse 8 says, when they had finished circumcising all the people, they stayed in their places in the camp until they were healed. It is very painful. God doesn't change. He says circumcision is a very painful. For them physically, for us emotionally, physically, spiritually, it's a very painful act because what God is cutting away from our lives were things and people who were so close to us, almost a part of us. But God says, those so same things which you held on to are the very things which will hold you back from possessing. Because God is more interested in my correction than my comfort. If he cuts me, he will heal me. And all the strongholds will come. And he gives you time. He says, stay. I'm not rushing you. I'm not rushing. He gives you time to heal. Paul will say this in Romans chapter 2 verses 28 and 29. For he is not a Jew. A Jew actually means one who praises God. Yehudi. Who is not one outwardly. Nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart. In the spirit, not in the letter. Whose praise is not from men, but from all our affections are in our heart. The circumcision actually begins in the heart. And you will see the problem with Israel, the first generation was not with the, they did not, they were not circumcised in the flesh. They were not circumcised in the heart. When God tried to take, first thing he brought them into the wilderness and he started feeding them something they were not used to. They fought against it. They really started getting mad because they wanted the same food they had it in Egypt. And they fought against it. They didn't like the manna. They wanted meat. They wanted fish. They wanted and they kept on grumbling. And they wanted to be led in the ways of Egypt. And God refused. Their hearts wouldn't be circumcised. But the children who were born to them in the desert, because they never knew Egypt, were not bothered. And I always tell Vijay, I said, Vijay, if the Lord tallies, tarries to come, and if our homes are right, one of the greatest set of victors will come out of GTLC. You know why? Because they have no world in their homes. They have no world in their schools. And they have no world in the church. They are desert babies. But I said, church, if they belong here, we will take care. Home you take care. School Jacinth will take care. The problem is the home. Watch out for your home. Watch out for your home. Because if one place is unsafe, your entire structure will collapse. Three safe places. There are three places a child goes. Home, school, church. If these three places stand in alignment in one line, you will have overcomers coming out like this. Unbelievable overcomers coming out of it because they are desert babies. So he will cut you, but he will heal you. But he says, real circumcision is a circumcision of the heart. He cut 
He cut Israel. Sometimes you see a cut is voluntary. But sometimes when you are stubborn, God will cut. In Genesis 11 and verse 32, the first man, in the days of Terah, so the days of Terah were 205 years and Terah died in Haran. The first cut in Abraham's life. He cut his father out. Then told him, move. Then scripture says, trouble has risen. Genesis 13, 7. There was strife. Between who? Abraham and Lot's. In this strange land. Imagine. Okay, imagine. Uh, let us say Hepzibah. Hepzibah goes to study in Gujarat. Gujarat. Okay. She doesn't speak one word of Hindi or Gujarati. And she goes there. She's in a university with 3,000 students. And finally she finds one more Telugu girl is there. Right? And after a little time, she and the Telugu girl starts fighting. In this whole land, he has only one flesh and blood. And God allows strife to come because he needs lot out. It's not part of the call. It's not part of your plan. It's not, not part of the promise. And if you don't let him go, I will make situations so bad, you will tell him to go. The circumcision has begun. A lot has to go. First father, but children get detached from fathers as they grow older, they start with their life. Then there is this nephew. You have no son, so this nephew. And then you have a son. In Genesis 21, verse 9, Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, scoffing. What does God say? Let the scoffer go. There's no room in my kingdom for scoffers. It's very painful to Abraham because that's his son. But God says, you want to believe your descendants inherit? Let the scoffer go. Lord, he's my son. God says, I know that. But I'm not part of that plan. Let him go. Circumcision is taking place. It is a circumcision of the heart. The other one is very easy. In two days you can get healed. But this doesn't get healed easy. Then in Genesis 22 verse 9, they came to the place which God had told him and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order and he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Now all the good in his life also is surrendered. And it is complete. His circumcision is complete. You know what God says immediately? In verses 15 to 18, the angel of the Lord, that is Jesus Christ, a capital, called to Abraham a second time out of heaven. First time he said, stay your hand. Second time. And said, by myself, Jesus is saying, in my own name, I swear, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing, I will bless you. Multiplying, I will multiply your dissonance as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore and your dissonance shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. That's the greatest blessing he gets. You know why? Because he allowed God's process of circumcising his heart to be complete. God says at this point, I know Abraham. 
you love me with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Why? Because you walked away from your father. You walked away from your nephew. You walked away from your first son. And you put your second son, your only son on the altar. I know you love me with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. Because when I look into your heart, it's circumcised. No affections more than for me. It's not that he didn't love his father. It's not that he didn't love his Lord. It's not that he did not love Ishmael. It's not that he didn't love Isaac. It is that he loved God more. And God says, those are the ones who will start winning. Our spiritual circumcision brings singleness of eye. You cannot walk two roads at the same time. Many, many people are trying to walk two roads. God says it is not possible. So Elijah asked this famous question on Mount Carmel in 1 Kings 18. Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? How long? How long will you falter? And you know why so many of you young people are miserable? You're miserable because deep inside you know. You're not just struggling with sin, which is fine. You need to struggle with sin and fight sin. You're not struggling with sin. You know you are a hypocrite. You know you love the world and by force you have to come to church. That given an opportunity, you would be preferred to be before the TV or in a movie theater. But you know. That's the struggle you are facing. You are not coming here because you love the Lord. Either it has become a habit or circumstances has compelled you. And God says, how long will you falter between two opinions? Therefore, what happens to people is it doesn't matter. Even if Jesus were to come and speak, it still doesn't settle because they are on two roads. They are fighting all the time. Not agreeing. The children of Israel, first generation is fighting with every word of Moses. The second generation has no problem with any word of Moses. Yet the word is the same. Yet the word is the same. There's no difference with what Moses speaks to the first generation or the second generation. It is the same. But the reception is different because the first generation is always sitting between two opinions. Why should it be that way? Why can't it be this way? They are struggling. If God, Lord is God, follow him. If Baal, follow him. But the people answered him, nothing. Circumcision is the sign that you are very close. The outward sign. Outward sign. It is the sign. And God is saying, are you being cut? Are you allowing him to cut? Are you holding on to your old ways? I'm telling you to young people, I'm telling to married people. Telling you to married people too. Many homes, I'm not talking about the church, this message will be heard by thousands over the weeks. I'm telling you. Many homes are conflict zones because it's two opposing ideas. Why should you have your way? So so, so what God said, you are the head. It doesn't matter. I am the head, listen to me. But where is your head? What is in your head? Homes have become conflict zones. And children go out to the world and the world has told them, even given them a number. If your father spanks you, call us. So the child comes and says, who told you you are the head? CPS is the head. CPS is child protection services in the West. The children who go to school are all given. 
numbers. But if your father or your mother spanks you, call us. We will take you out of your home. So who is the head? Absolute conflict zones. There's no head. There's an inward and an outward. There is an individual circumcision. And there is a corporate circumcision. The corporate was in, was not outward. It was something was happening. Even while God was separating a younger generation, he was also corporately cutting away the older generation who was flesh. He was separating the flesh and the spirit. Every time one man fell dead in the desert, it was flesh dying. One more, one more, one more, one more, one more. They're all dying, one after another. God says, you know what, the circumcision is happening in the camp. Do you know that? Every time one of the older generation dies, I am taking them out. Why? Because they will not persist. They will become a stumbling block. And finally, only one man is left. And that man had given into his flesh once. And God said, because you are the leader, and you gave into your flesh, you will be the last man to die. And he's going up the mountain. And I can believe what a sight it must have been. All of Israel is watching. They can see Moses going up the mountain. They cannot see God walking with him. But they know once he goes up, he will not come down. And once he goes up there and dies, they will be crossing over. For the last of the old generation will be dead. So there is a mass circumcision going on over there. Because these are all opposing ideas. Jerusalem and Babylon cannot cohabit. The kingdom of God and the world cannot and God has said it very clearly. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. So if you look at lives, you will see God is just feeding them, protecting them, giving them a roof over their heads, but they are not able to experience the spiritual victories in their life because God says, I told you, we cannot halt between two opinions. You will not allow your hearts to be circumcised. Therefore, you will wander like them. Until you fall dead. But until you fall dead, I will take care of you. That's my part of the contract. But about possessing the new land, he says, unless you allow my, your heart to be changed, it's, it's, it's not going to be possible. Why? Because that's the way the mind works. You can only be loyal to one person. You cannot be loyal to two people at the same time. Even Jesus himself says in the last days to the church, he says this, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. You're neither. I wish you were cold or hot. One, either be cold towards God, go have a blast in the world. Or be on fire for God and turn your backs completely to the world. He says you are neither. And he says because you are lukewarm, neither hot, cold nor hot, he says, what will be? I will puke you out. I will puke you out. But now a generation has risen. They have that reality in their hearts. All they required is the outward sign. And yet, it is painful. He says, it is painful. Yet God will heal you. But be very careful. See that you do not get circumcised for the wrong reasons. The purpose of circumcision 
is to enter into a covenant with God. But when you are entering outwardly into a covenant with God, inwardly also you should have entered. That's what baptism in this new covenant. You just don't go get baptized. Baptized, baptism is an outward ceremony, but you need to have the inward reality. If the inward reality is not there and you do the outward ceremony, what happens? You struggle like the older generation. Because you can get circumcised for the absolutely for the wrong reasons. And there is examples in the Bible. In Genesis it says, Hamor and Shishem, his son came to the gate of the city, spoke with the men of their city. Who are these? These are Canaanites. They had taken Jacob's daughter Dina. Hamor had taken. Now the brothers come and say, Oh, we cannot marry. let our sister marry you because you know we are all circumcised or you are uncircumcised. So if you get all get circumcised, then we will allow our daughter, sister to marry you. So they came and said, these men are at peace with us. Therefore, let, let them dwell in the land and trade in it. For indeed, the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters to us as wives. Let us give them our daughters. Only on this condition will the men consent to dwell with us to be one of, to be one people. If every male among us is circumcised as they are circumcised, will not their livestock, their property, every animal of theirs be ours? Only let us consent to them and they will dwell with us. You know, the Canaanites said, you know what? Let's all get circumcised. Then we'll all live like one community. All we need is an outside sign with no inward reality. A lot of people do. Pastor, will you baptize me? Why? No, I want to marry this Christian girl. A lot of people who go to the Middle East, they convert. Why? Because if you become a Muslim, your job, career opportunities are big over there. A lot of Indians, when they go to the West, to Canada, US and all, the name changes. Hari becomes Harry. You look at their names, all change. God says there's no inward reality at all. Absolutely no inward reality. And you know what happens in verse 24 to 26? And all who went out of the gate of his city heeded Hamor and Sishem, his son. Every male was circumcised. All who went out of the gate of his city. Now it came to pass on the third day when they were in pain. Two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, each took his sword, came boldly upon the city and killed all the males. They were in pain. They were circumcised. They were not healed. There's no God there to heal them. So they have to wait for the natural process to heal them. Because this is good. God is not involved in this circumcision. God says, I got nothing to do with this circumcision. You can get circumcised. I am not part of this contract. And two of Jacob's sons come and kill everybody. Why? Because they got circumcised for the wrong reasons. Lord of people get baptized for the wrong reasons. And because your baptism was not physical, the demonic realm saw it, he comes at you with all his strength and they realize what is happening to my life? God said, you put a marker on your head. Before that, nobody knew. You said, I belong to Christ when you did not belong to Christ. And you were actually in the spiritual, opening yourself as a target for the enemy. God says, it's a battle. You entered into a contract without God entering into a contract with you. Circumcision is a sign. Be careful. And the second thing he says in Joshua chapter 5, 8, and it was when they had finished circumcising all the people that they stayed in their places in the camp till they were healed. God gives us time for healing. 
Then the Lord said to Joshua, This day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore the name of the place is called Gilgal to this day. He rolls away the reproach. Allow him to roll away the reproach of Egypt. That is the reproach of this world. Let me talk to you straight from the heart. Some of you are not married still only because you took his name. And stuck to the demands of marriage which he set. Some of you, your marriages have collapsed only because of him. In the world you are reproached. Hey, everybody is growing. Oh, you have got married. Your colleagues, your younger ones, all this youngest one also got married. Why are you this thing? But that's your reproach. The reproach is because in your heart you decided to get circumcised and said, no, I need to be equally matched. Equally yoked with a believer. And there is all the matches that are coming doesn't match with God's word. Your heart got circumcised. And you're bearing a reproach. Or some of you, after you got married, you got saved. And you were on fire for God and your spouse has left you. Or this missing in action. is there but not there. God says you are bearing my reproach. But I tell you, I will roll away your reproach. You don't have to carry it. Your reproach is rolled away. Because you have my name on you now. You have my name on you now. You never have to be ashamed. God says you don't have to be ashamed. Because if it is because my name's sake you went through this in your personal lives. Why do you carry that reproach? And you carry it as a bat. What is this? This is the reproach of Christ. We hang all these medals from the world. God says carry it. All of heaven will see. He's carrying it as a label. It is the reproach of Christ. It has been rolled away. When all the affections of the world is rolled away from our heart, the reproach of the world will also be of no effect on us. The reproach of the world has effect on us because the affections of the world is in our heart. It didn't matter to Paul at all. He said, Hebrew of the Hebrew, from the tribe of Benjamin, Pharisee of Pharisee, all this I was. Now what I am? Nobody. But I carry it. Has my badge. Why? Because I consider it as rubbish for knowing Christ Jesus. That is the spiritual experience at Gilgal. You don't sit there and think about the days of the world. Oh, how great it was in those days. When everybody loved me, everybody liked me, everybody commended me. And then I came to Christ. And people started leaving. Daddy left. Bhaiya left. Bhabi left. That's what Abraham also could think, right? Everybody left. He says, no. God says, you know Abraham. You have been marked out. I see your heart. You love me more than anybody else. So allow him to roll away the reproach. Don't hang on to it. Allow him to. Because some of you children have lost your parents because of your faith. And some parents have lost their children because of their faith. Abraham lost Ishmael. Because of Abraham's faith. Ishmael lost Abraham because of Abraham's faith. Moses lost his two sons because of his faith. Samuel lost his sons because of his faith. And we willingly carry that reproach. God says, I will roll that reproach away. This is the reality of the life of a believer. And he walks. He realizes This walk may cost me, not necessarily, but may cost me 
almost everybody in my life. And one man was there like that called Enoch. When he finally ended his walk, he was all alone. Allow him to heal. Allow him to roll away that reproach. What will people say? It doesn't matter. God is with me. God is for me. The reproach he carries till the end of his life. Finally at the end of his life, lying in a dirty dungeon in a Roman prison. Nobody even thinks about him. One fellow on Sephora's searches finds him. And he says, everybody has abandoned me, but I don't. I don't hold it against them. Why? Christ is with me. Christ is with me. The reality is there. You are scarred in life. But that is the sign you are very close to your promise. In Galatians 6 and verse 17, this is what Paul says, From now on let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of Christ. He says, leave it alone. Leave me alone. Don't trouble me. Don't question my credentials. Because on my body I bear the marks of Lord Jesus Christ. And God is asking us, do you bear my marks? I was the one who was circumcising you. Oh, that was a physical sign then. But now I take the scalpel of my word and through my spirit I start cutting away everything in your life that stands between you and me. And I will not stop it until I have you all to myself. That's the reason I died and redeemed you. And he says, do you bear my marks? I will heal you. And I will also roll away the reproach of the world because the world does not like people who are sold out for Christ. They hate them. They hate them. They want compromises. Who will compromise? As soon as Joseph refused to give in to Potiphar's wife's request to compromise, the next words from that, that Hebrew you brought to this house. Suddenly his identity comes out as Hebrew. Till then he wasn't a Hebrew. Yeah. But that never was an issue until he refused to compromise. Understand that. Circumcision is painful, but it will heal you. And it will also roll away that reproach. Everything Paul faced, he faced for Christ. But he chose Christ. And his reward was Christ himself. In Philippians 3.8, he will say, Indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ. Our issue is this. Our honest issue with which people struggle is this. We have been being taught about loss, but we are not able to appropriate the excellence of Christ. So we struggle. We struggle. Some of us don't struggle is because we know this and we love it. And we really consider the rest of the things as rubbish. Let it go. What does it matter? It's rubbish. We have to. It's not about cutting away. It is also receiving Christ. Otherwise we will be miserable people. Everything that he faced was that. In Joshua chapter 5 verses 11 to 12. And they ate. What did they eat? They ate the produce of the land on the day after Passover. Unleavened bread and parched grain on the very same day. And Manna ceased. Something which their fathers never experienced. They experienced. In Exodus 16 it will tell you what manna is like. When the layer of dew lifted there on the surface of the wilderness was a small round substance as fine as frost on the ground. It was like wafers. 
Now let me tell you, babies and children will like wafers. If you try to feed me wafers for breakfast or lunch or dinner, I will be irritated. Do you want to live all your life on wafers? God says that's what will happen to you. You will eat the wafer of the word of God because you never could be circumcised while there was the produce of the land of God waiting for you. But the day they were circumcised, their diet changed. Their food changed. Manna was only for the desert. It was never meant to be our food. In Hebrews 5, this is what Paul will say. So the writer of Hebrews, Paul says, everyone who partakes only of the milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness for he is a baby, but solid food. There is solid food in this. There is solid food. It can really satisfy your soul. But God says, you have to graduate from milk. And to graduate from milk is our struggle. To graduate from baby to young man, there has to be a circumcision of a heart. And we will see it is our affections that are holding us back. Transition is taking place with one generation. 1 John 2.13, that's what God is telling. I write to you fathers because you have known him from the beginning. I write to you young men, you have overcome the wicked one. There's a transition taking place from child to young people because they are overcoming. This is a generation that is going to fight and possess their inheritance. Their older generation, he was not willing. Let me ask you this question. How many among us can sit with the word and in prayer without break for a few days? Until we break through. And you will realize we don't have the strength to fight. We still have to be fed. We still have to be fed. We still have to be given milk. Anything more than milk, we have indigestion. You see the result? And God says there is this promised land waiting for you. It's yours. But you have to fight. You have to fight for it every day. Because a new generation has risen who has no taste for the flesh pots of Egypt. They have no memory, no liking. They have been now been weaned of manna also, which is the milk. They have been weaned of manna. Remember even those who followed Jesus, what happened in John 6, verse 60 and then 66. Therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? Well, last Sunday we had anniversary service, so we had guests, you know. And a couple of the guests said, oh, this is, you know, your church, it is like uh, degree classes. So what does that mean? Some of the people who have said this to me, I heard them say the same thing 10 years ago also. So you are still content to be in primary school? When are you going to graduate and get into degree classes? My question to you is that. While in your professional career you are acquiring skill after skill after skill after skill after skill because you know you need it for the world, how come in the kingdom of God you are content with primary class? That's exactly what Paul, the writer of Hebrews says, elementary teachings. Why? Because your heart is not set on the kingdom of God or his righteousness. 
And you're content with the world. And God says, you know what? I will take care of you. I will feed you. I will clothe you. In the night, I will be light for you. In the day, I will be cloud for you. But I will promise you one thing. You will not eat the barley of the land. Because that's for a generation who is willing to get their hearts cut away from anything of the world. And they said, here we are. Your voice, your word, your command, we follow you. And they will succeed in the world too. But they always will know to whom they belong. And their affections belong to. Let me tell you one thing why we are tough with the younger generation. Physically, medically speaking, spiritually speaking, cutting and healing is easier when you are young. Cutting and healing is more difficult when you are older. We are talking spiritual and physical truths. When a child has a cut, it heals in one day. When you are 60, 70 years old, you have a cut, it takes a longer time to heal. And if you are diabetic, it doesn't heal also. The same thing true about children. You train up the child in the ways of God. He will take all the discipline easily. You get a man or a woman who got saved at 60, and you try cutting them, they will fight you all the way. It's very difficult. Because ideas have been set in their minds. Because the cutting is in the mind and in the heart. And every this is a live patient who has not been given anesthesia fighting the surgeon. Why do you think they gave you anesthesia before surgery? But if this is a live living Surgery. God doesn't give you anesthesia. He says, feel the pain. Let me cut you out. It's easier when you are young. The older it takes, the more time it takes. Abraham was circumcised when he was 99 years old. And a year later he told Sarah, please tell you are my sister. He still denied his wife. Because you're circumcised too old for habits to change. Isaac was circumcised when he was young. So he will allow his father to bind him to the older without resistance because he was cut when he was young. Those of you who allow God to cut you when you are young, I promise you, you will run like a champion and finish like a champion. Don't fight his cutting when you are young. The older you are, the more difficult it becomes. It is true all through history and all through the Bible. Joseph, David, Jesus... They are all ready to reign at 30. Joseph was ready by 30 to take over Egypt. David was ready at 30 to take over Israel. Jesus was ready at 30 to preach the kingdom and die. And they were all cut early. So this Father's Day, God the Father is saying, Will you receive my instruction? Are you ready to cut away all that I say that I should? you should cut away? Do you see, even when you were disobedient, I still was good to you. Do you see, the young people remembered all that. You see, spiritual leaders can fail. Moses failed. He took the rod and hit the rock. Because spiritually the leader failed, that does not mean God did not quench the thirst of the people. He still gave them water. He says, do you see? Do you see? You see my faithfulness is telling a generation. Do you see? Even when the leadership failed, I still took care of you. 
Are you ready for this fight? Are you ready for this battle? But there is a battle ahead. God says very clearly, the flesh has to be cut away. Why? Because 1 Corinthians 15.50 says, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom. Cannot. Cannot inherit the kingdom. We have to cut it away ourselves. God said, you know, when the Ten Commandments was given, there was this mountain probably of rock gleaming with fire. Then they had this rock that was Jesus Christ following them, which gave them water. Now God says, make knives of little rocks. Make flint knives and cut yourself. So it's not God who was cutting them. They had to cut themselves. First Timothy chapter 2 verse 21 scripture says, Therefore if anyone cleanses himself. Anyone. See, when we were children, we gave our children their baths. One thing we knew. We knew they were clean. When you grow older, we said, go take your own bath. And nobody is sure whether you are clean. I know my mother used to catch because the bathroom and the kitchen, I had to go through the kitchen and it was, it was in the mountains and it is cold, absolutely cold, no hot water. So what I would do was wet my legs, wet my hair face and rub it and try to run and she would catch me on the way and pull me back. Because mothers know children very well. Oh, stand over there. And I used to shout at her and say, Ma, it's so cold, it's cold, I'm not having. She didn't say anything. She just mentioned one word, which may not even have meaning for you. She just said, not in Hindi, but in my language, Acha, which is how she called my father. And disappeared straight back into the bathroom and had my wat. It's all those ways how we respected our fathers. I was telling my nephew, I, I cannot remember one day in my life where I talked back to my father. I wouldn't dare to. It's a no-no. It's absolutely no-no. You didn't. You simply didn't do those things. That's all it took. One word. Okay. But when you grow up, you have to cleanse yourself. When you are children, we will tell you, don't do this, don't walk like this, don't talk like this, don't dress like this, don't this thing, read your Bible, pray, do all these things, we will tell you. But a day will come when you have to cleanse yourself. God says, that is the place. Joshua chapter 5 and verse 9. It is called, then the Lord said to Joshua, this day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. When I look at you, there is nothing of Egypt in you. You are all mine. I look, nothing of the world. I look on you, nothing of the world. I look into your heart, nothing of the world. I look into your mind, nothing of the world. You are mine. The reproach of the world is rolled away from you. And the name of this place is Gilgal. Gilgal is the place of your consecration. Spiritual marker. It is the place of your consecration. Understand that. That's where the, the, the reproach, the world is cut away. In Philippians 3 and verse 3, Paul will say, For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Jesus Christ, and have no confidence in the flesh. 
we are the circumcision because in the spirit there is no flesh at all no world at all therefore it doesn't matter it may be one line from the bible or a two hour sermon we still rejoice still rejoice it may be one song from whatsapp we still rejoice because it's all about christ there is nothing of the world over there god is saying that is gilgal and you need to realize as soon as flesh manifests they lose they lose israel will lose the battle against i because in the camp flesh manifested they lost and you know why they lost i'll tell you why they lost and joshua sent men from from where from jericho that's why they lost you know why we lost because we go out today is a new tomorrow is monday is going to be a new day tomorrow monday i will go from my point of victory god says you will lose you have to go every day from your point of consecration not from your point of victory go back to gilgal start every day from the foot of the cross not from your victory but from your consecration and they will lose and you study the book of joshua you will see interesting things turning up over there when was joshua's greatest victory when he defeated all those kings where even the sun stood still right you go and read joshua chapter 10 and verse 6 the men of gibeon sent joshua at the camp at gilgal did you see gilgal is here jericho is here the other cities are here they started from here jericho fell after 7 days he camped in jericho sent men to i and he lost got the lesson that's not where i should camp i should camp at my point of consecration comes back to gilgal now he's going to face the biggest battle of his life all the kings of the amorites have gathered but he's going from the point of consecration and you know what scripture says in verses 14 there had been no day like that before it or after it that the lord heeded the voice of a man for the lord fought for israel then jesha returned and all israel with him to the camp at gilgal came back that was his greatest battle where god actually listened to a man's voice what does it mean you know what it means it means god did not speak to joshua joshua spoke to god usually whenever the prophet spoke they will stand there and say thus says the lord but this is not what's happening he is in the height of the battle it's a massive battle and time is running out he's not able to finish the battle so he spoke to god and said stop the sun and the moon and god said time stop stand still because my man over there absolutely consecrated man is asking for time and god is telling the same message to people if you think you have lost time in life if your consecration is perfect he says i'll make time work for you not against you and that's what scripture says never has been a day before or after that lord listen to a man and stop time because for all of us the biggest thing we are chasing is time and some people feel it's too late for me to change god says no it's not time can turn around for you that was his greatest greatest victory so you will see god asking fathers certain things first thing he tells fathers instruct second thing he tells fathers provide third thing he tells fathers be an example in first corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1 imitate me just i also imitate christ 
Now be careful to what Paul is saying over there. Paul is not saying, do everything I do. He's not saying that. He says, I also have made my mistakes. But wherever you see in my life that I am imitating Christ, imitate that. Fathers set godly examples for their children, though they may have failed in many areas. And those things we look at and we follow their example. The next generation did not stand there and point out all the mistakes of Moses. They said, no, we saw Moses following God. And all we are asking Joshua is, you just follow God like Moses followed. And we will follow you. There are many, many things our fathers did. We don't want our children to copy. But there are things which our fathers did, which we want our children to copy. We leave behind a legacy. My father did not know the Lord. But he left two things for me. One thing he said is time. Don't you dare waste time. Second thing he said, read as much as you want. I will see that I get you the books you want to read. Get. When the library was over, he called up the principals from neighboring schools and said, when you come on the weekend, can you bring books for my son? And they brought. The first thing we landed on the, reached the Indian border, the first thing we check into a hotel, he locks, he takes me and says, come. Takes me to the first thing, bookstall, and he says, pick the books you want. Two things he taught me. One, don't waste time. Don't waste time. He used to tell me these things before even I knew how to read properly. Time and tide waste for no one. Hmm? Man makes money. Don't let money make you. Second thing he told me was he could. And he never scolded me for reading. The law was there. There are certain laws which are manageable. No, we are hard and fast. My father was never like that. He told me 10 o'clock lights off. Go to bed. Which I obeyed very nicely. I always put off the lights at 10 and took his torch. My father knew I would be reading with his torch, this thing under. And I fell asleep, used to fall asleep. He never scolded me. He would come quietly in the night and he'd take the torch and put the book and put it in the side and walk away. He never scolded me for reading. Never. And I look at my father and look at what I am doing today and I realize I would have never survived if he hadn't taught me two things. Save your time and read. It's a discipline. It's a very difficult discipline. Honestly, you look in the church, how many people can really read non-stop? You will see people struggle. So there are things, there are things which I would never wanted. My father drank, he smoked and he ate pan. And I decided, the first thing I saw that, I decided I am not going to imitate this. I first looked at a bottle of glass of beer and I did. And I thought, how can anybody drink this? And it stayed in my mind always. And I could never understand people who drink beer. Then it was alcohol. And I looked at it and said, man, he's such a nice father. When this goes in, what does he become? That's one reason why I don't drink Coke or Thumbs Up. Because the color is the same. Built into the head. So you don't have to imitate everything which your father did. But there are a lot of things our fathers did which would have been good for us if we had imitated them. That's what Paul is saying. Something which our fathers have done or fathers should do. One, instruct. Two, provide. Three, scripture says, 
imitate. Because children imitate fathers. So as we come to the close, in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 19, so he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him. He was with the twelfth, and Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him. That's what we see Elisha and Elijah. And in verse 21, scripture says, Elisha turned back from him, took a yoke of oxen, slaughtered them, boiled their flesh using the oxen's equipment, gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. You know, his dedication in the beginning was fantastic. In modern terms, as soon as Elijah called him, he resigned his job. And left his home. And followed the one who called him. We don't hear anything about Elisha for years together. I don't know. Some theologian says up to 15-20 years. We don't know. Years together. You don't hear anything about this man. You will hear a little about in between. Another prophet called Micaiah will come off. You will hear about Elijah bringing down fire, killing the king's soldiers. All that you will hear. You will not hear anything about Elisha. The next time you will hear about Elisha is the last day of Elijah on earth. That's when you next time you hear Elisha. It's interesting, right? A transition is going to happen that day. Everybody is aware that Elijah is going, but nobody is aware that Elisha is going to take his place. Because for years, there is this silence about this man who has steadfastly followed his, the one who called him. And on the last day, God opens the curtain and shows us Elisha and Elijah on their last journey together. Elijah's last journey. And you know where it begins? In 2 Kings chapter 2. And it came to pass, when the Lord was about to take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from from, where did the journey begin? The point of Israel's consecration. That's where the journey began. God is telling us, our generation has to inherit Elisha's mantle, Elijah's mantle. A generation wants that double portion which God is promising to the last generation. God says, you need to follow as he followed. All the others knew. Is going to be taken. They had revelation, gifts, everything. But nobody was willing to be circumcised or to be or to be consecrated as Elisha. That day, Elijah will go. He will follow him, follow him, follow him because his heart has been separated from everything. So he will follow Elijah till the end. And that day, God will take him off. But you will realize when he takes him off, who is taken off? It happened as they continued on and talked that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it. He cried out. What did he cry? What did he cry? My father, my father. That's what he cried. You were my father. All these years, what did you do? You instructed me. You took care of me. And I followed your example. You are my father. Now you have gone. But you did not leave me without a legacy. You have left something of you for me. And I am going to wear that and walk in your shoes from today. He tears his robe apart. And he took his 
Elisha's, Elijah's mantle and he now walks. There is a seamless transition from one generation to another generation because one man chose to follow God. And he's a young man. That's what God is talking about this on a father's day. Elijah was a true spiritual father. He provided for Elisha all the days of his life. He instructed him and he left a very powerful example for him to follow. And Jesus is our spiritual father. And those three and a half years when he took those disciples around, he asked them a question. In Luke 22 and verse 35, he asked, When I sent you without money back, knacks have sandals, did you lack anything? Lack anything. He's saying, did I always provide for you? He's asking you and me, did I always take care of you? Did you have food on your table? Did you have clothes on your back? Were you protected from the elements? Jesus is asking them, did I? John 15 and verse 15, he says, I no longer you call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all the things I heard from my father I have more made known to you. Did Jesus instruct his disciples? He says, did I show you the ways of my father? Did I teach you the face of my father? You see, I am my father. I took care of you. I instructed you. And in John 17, 19, 17 is sanctify them by the truth. But in verse 19, for their sakes I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. That's what I tell pastors and I tell Pastor Eric, Pastor Vijay, all of them. Don't fight when I tell you certain things because for their sakes we have to sanctify ourselves. There are a lot of things which we can do which we don't do. It doesn't affect it at all. But we don't do those things. Why? Because we want to leave a model for others. Jesus did not have to be sanctified. But he says, for their sake, I have sanctified myself. For their sake. Because he says, disciples are always watching me and following me, walking around me. They don't listen to half the things I say, but I know they are watching me. So there are a lot of things I can do, but I won't do. Because if I do, they will do. And they don't have the truth inside to do it. Because people usually follow people. Jesus was the true father. Real, real true father. Paul was the true father. Elijah was the true father. Moses was the true father. He told them to feed them, to instruct them, and be a godly example. The strangest part of it all is that one generation hated Moses for what he did. Another generation loved Moses for the same things. The question is, which generation are you? Which generation are you? Which generation are you? There's nothing different that Moses did with both the generations. Exactly the same. The food was the same. The instruction was the same. Everything was the same. Response was different. God is asking us this morning, how is our response? How is our response? Answer me. See, like I said, we want the product. We don't want the process. The things which you are holding in your hand or you are wearing on your clothes had voices and speak to you. 
Oh, they will tell you, you have no clue, the thread, they thrashed me and thrashed me and thrashed me and then I became a thread, I thought it was over. Then I became in the loom and they hit me and hit me and hit me and I thought it was over. They dunked me in dye and I was screaming, my eyes were burning and my color changed. It was not over, they brought me somewhere, then they cut me and cut me and cut me. And you are so coolly walking around wearing it. Do you know what I went through for you to wear it? See, we like the product. But we don't like the process. We like to hear they overcame, they possessed the land and God gave them peace with their enemies all the days of their life. But what made them become that? It's the wilderness. They learned the lessons of the wilderness. Two generations were in the same wilderness. One generation learned. The other did not. God took care of them both. But he only allowed one to cross over. And God says, this is the truth for every generation. Don't get fooled. Don't get fooled. Don't get fooled by the product. Be part of the process. Don't get fooled by the position. Long for the presence. Have you heard two people with the same position? Saul king, David king. Did you ever hear Saul ever talk about the ark? Did you ever hear Saul talk about the ark? No. First, the first thing David does when he becomes king of Jerusalem, he says, how can the ark rest here? The ark has to come to Jerusalem. The ark has to come to Jerusalem. The ark has to come to Jerusalem. And even if he makes a wrong, a mistake in the bringing of the ark, God still loves him and forgives him. But this fellow who is never interested in the presence of God, God is waiting to knock him off the throne. Because his heart is not circumcised. Is how God looks at all of us. Where is your heart? Where is your mind? Where is your head? Is it circumcised? So this morning, shall we stand up? Shall we stand up? And fight this good fight. Fight. Yes, I know World Cup football is there. This, cricket is easy. This takes hard work. That's control. We like sitting and watching and jumping. But says that's the product. The product is because of a process. Why? They have to train over and over and over and over again and listen to the voice of their coach. It demands circumcision in their hearts to cut away from the things of this world and focus on one thing. And today we pay and we sit there sleepless nights, sleepless days, sitting there and watching at the edge of our seat. But that's the product. We will only watch because we never went through the process. God is saying life is like that. Life with the kingdom of God is also like that. And the kingdom, God's kingdom is bigger than all this. God says he demands that kind of a discipline from them. And he got one generation trained in the desert. Absolutely trained in the desert. Cut away. Cut away from everything of the world. Fill them with his word. Model the leadership before them. And they said, we are ready. We will go take it. Their fathers complained for 40 years. They could walk seven days without opening their mouth. Seven days without opening their mouth. Non-stop. They could. That was a generation. And they could open their mouth at the command of God and shout. That is training. Spiritual discipline. That's what God is talking about. Our generation. The Bible talks about a final day generation that will rise. And my prayer is always at least one or two from this church. 
who will rise and be part of that generation. We are celebrating Christ, not FIFA, okay? But don't go from this hall with that football in your mind. And forget all that you heard, young people. Father God, we just come to you. We just thank you for every father here, every child here. And I pray, Father, for every one of these children, they will have a godly father to model, Lord. A godly parent, a spiritual parent. They can model, Lord. And I pray, Father, from our hearts, our reaction will be like the second generation, Lord. We will learn from the mistakes of those who have gone before us. Yet we will look at their godly examples they set before us and learn of it too, Lord. And we will learn to be content with your provision. Because, Father, we know we are just passing through. We are content with what you give us here. We are just passing through. This is not our final destination. Our final destination is somewhere else, Lord. As travelers, help us to be content. Help us to receive in our heart all the instruction you give us through different various media, Lord. The word spoken from the pulpit or the net or a book, whatever it is, help us to be instructed, O Lord. And help us to follow godly examples in our life, Lord. So many young people, and I pray they will not fail. They will not fall. The ten years of teaching discipline they have received, some are going into college. And I pray the spirit of Akhan will not rise in their hearts. For even if no one will see, yet you will see. Nothing is hidden from your eyes, O Lord. And I pray we'll constantly cleanse ourselves so that we can be a holy vessel in your hand, O Lord. Surrender the church into thy hands, O Lord, each day, every day of this week. Go with us, go before us, O Lord. And for those who are disheartened, I pray today their hearts will be lifted up that we have a God who will make even time work in our favor. If we are willing to fight this battle, Lord. All I pray that our affections and our heart is completely sold out for you. And everything and everybody else only comes a second, a close second, but never first. Thank you, Father. Thank you. I commit every person, need in the body, a need in the family, a need in finances, whatever it is, Father. You are that faithful God, that even in our disobedience, you still quench our thirst. And I pray, Father, meet your people at their point of need, Lord. Thank you, Father. We lift up holy hands and we bless your holy name, Lord. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. Thank you, Father. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen.